Hey, I'm Nathan, the online pastor at Parkview, and thanks for checking out our online service. We're a church where regardless of your past or your story, whether you've been following Jesus for a long time or you're just exploring faith for the first time, you belong here and we want to help you take a step toward God. If at any point during the service or even during the week, you want to talk with us about how God might be leading you, just go to parkviewchurch.com slash next steps and let us know. We would love to walk alongside you as you take steps toward becoming the person God created you to be. Today, we're joining our broadcast campus where our band will lead us in a few songs and Pastor Tim will continue our series, Behind the Mask. Enjoy the service. Everybody, welcome online. We're glad to have you here. Welcome, Homer Glen, New Lenox, Orland Park, and our outdoor venues. I just got a question: Why am I not at the outdoor venue? I mean, come on! And why are you? Um, we're doing behind the mask here at Parkview because we all want to try to figure out what we look like coming out of this last year and how that all is going to work out for us. And um, we're kind of glad, right, that the masks are going away. Can I can I hear from you? Are you kind of glad? Like I'm. Kind of, I'm kind of ready to be done. And, you know, every week I'm trying to come up with new ideas. Why? And, and this is why this week, because this is what we look like with our masks on, don't we? Right? When it pulls your ears out like that and you look kind of like Dobby. I mean, I, I just, I'm, I'm ready, okay? I hope you got to at least see some of the pics and the video from the baptism weekend two weeks ago. 170 people with so many stories. Got to baptize my neighbor. Uh, other people whose stories I knew a little bit about. One woman got baptized and then got out and realized her husband was in line. And so she came back around and got baptized again. It was just really awesome. There were a lot of kids, which always makes me the most happy because they have their whole lives in front of them. Our uh, new business administrator, Ken Andreessen, I did all four of his kids at the same time. I thought you needed to see that. That's a four-bagger right there, boys and girls. That's a home run, huh? Uh, and there were, there were a lot of people that, I, I got to say it this way, you wouldn't expect to see as much, okay? You know, I mean, like, there, was, there were a lot, of, uh, a lot of guys. There were a lot of guys, and you wouldn't expect to maybe see that. Um, there were a lot of older people. You wouldn't expect to see that. In other words, I guess what I'm saying is there were a lot of people who might have been um, more hesitant and say, you know what, I'm not going to go swallow my pride and get dunked in the Jordan River, but they did it. And I just think that Jesus was so happy because I, I, this is exactly what Jesus is all about. And this is what I want to talk about today. I think that Jesus was literally ignoring all of the Pharisees around the world that at that moment who were trying to impress him with their goodness and he was right here with us at our campuses uh, just clapping and just loving it. I quoted this parable in the sermon um, two weeks ago when, when we did this about where you know the tax collector goes to church and and he stands there and he's like oh I'm so glad I'm not like everybody else it's so great to be me God don't you just love me and all the great things that I do I'm not even like this tax collector and, and this is a story Jesus told right and the tax collector, Jesus said, couldn't even lift his head up. 
and, and just beat his breast and said, be merciful to me, Lord, a sinner. And Jesus said, that's the guy I want. That's the guy we're after, okay? And I think there were a, lo- a lot of people humbly taking off their masks in the tub saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Because sometimes, like, you'll hear somebody say, you'll never believe who I saw in church this week. You ever hear that? And depending on their inflection, you can kind of tell what they're saying, right? It's like, you'll never believe who I saw in church today. You know, like just random, like my, my cousin was there or whatever. Or if the voice inflection is, you'll never believe who I saw in church today, it's usually with a little bit more, uh, you know, judgment, right? Depending on their voice inflection. You know, while Judy was there from college, you remember what she was like? Greg's there, my ex-brother-in-law. He cheated on my sister so much, she finally divorced him. Or Joe from the health club. You, you've heard the mouth he has on him. He was at church today. Well, I think her name was Kathy. She used to be an exotic dancer over in Indiana. Really? How do you know? <laughs> I, I'm just here to tell you that that is exactly the way the church should be. And what I want to talk about today that I think is hiding behind a lot of our masks is shame. Okay? I want to read a story together from Luke 7 help you to understand Jesus a little bit better about how he dealt with, again, kind of the same thing with a a Pharisee and somebody who might not have been deserving of heaven in a lot of people's eyes, okay? And and it goes something like this. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus (coughs) to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table, okay? That was just how they did it. They, you know, they, there was a table, low table there, and they just kind of leaned up against it, and that's how the whole thing worked. But, but in that day, if an important person was a guest in your house, it's kind of a funny tradition, so this will help you to understand. The front door was left open, and anyone who wanted to could walk in and listen to the conversation, especially if it was an important teacher. I mean, it was like, hey, look at how cool I am. I have this cool person here. If you'd like to come in and hear me have a dialogue with this cool person, you can come on in, okay? Um, My neighbors have experienced that a little bit. Uh, I mean, I was laughing when I was thinking about this, you know, Montel Jordan, you know, R&B star at my house or or Brian Head Welsh, the lead guitarist from Corn. You can't miss him when he's walking out of my house with his dreadlocks and all of his ink. You know, I've had Mike Singletary and his family in our backyard for Father's Day several years ago. We had actor Jim Caviezel in our house, you know, he was here at church and we had him over for dinner. Hey, did you see Jesus at, at your house? Yeah, yeah. Why, are you, why do you act so surprised that Jesus was there? I don't know. But this is what's going on, okay? So what happens is a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Okay, wow. Obviously, she knows who Jesus is, and somehow she must know that this rabbi teacher guy is somebody who doesn't condone her behavior, but she went anyway. In other words, somehow, and you need to hear this wherever you're listening, somehow Jesus always made sinners feel comfortable. They always felt comfortable. Does that make you uncomfortable? That's the question. 
I hate it when people feel uncomfortable around me because I'm a pastor. I mean, certainly not Jesus, but sometimes because I'm a pastor, you know, I'm at Costco and I see people and they're like covering over their giant bottle of Kirkland vodka, you know, with the <laughs> potato chips, hoping that I, you know, that I don't see it. Inevitably on the golf course, it happens, okay? Someone gets paired up with me or my friend invites me to play and he doesn't bother to tell the other guys what I do just to see how many bombs they will drop before we get around to the conversation, you know, on the 15th green. So what do you do? Well, here we go, right? The thing about Jesus, the <coughs> thing about Jesus is that Jesus wasn't a person who condoned sinful behavior. He just didn't make people feel shame. Can I say that again? He didn't condone sinful behavior, and, and that's what I'm trying to, trying to be. I don't condone sinful behavior. I just don't want you to feel shame. And, and this shame thing is a really important topic as we start to come out from behind our masks because there's been some crazy stuff going on in the last year, right? And psychologists will speak uh, a lot today about the negative consequences of shame and guilt. And some psychologists even tell us that there's no good place for guilt. And I don't believe that that's true. And I'm going to come back and talk about guilt with King David next week. I hope you'll be here for this. But, but listen to Albert Ellis, the author of Rational and Emotional Therapy. He said it this way, there is no place for the concept of sin in psychotherapy. He goes on and he says, the goal of psychotherapy is to eradicate the concept of sin because that is where most emotional problems come from. And he called it from toxic guilt. Okay. And guess what? In case you're interested, rational and emotional therapy works really well for the person undergoing the therapy that doesn't have to think about whether it's sin or not in their life. They don't have to worry about the consequences of his or her actions. It works out really well for them. It just doesn't work out really well for the people around them, does it? Anybody live in your house with an alcoholic? I don't need you to raise your hand. I think you understand. The problem isn't the fact of sin. The problem is how we deal with it. The problem isn't guilt. It's what Ellis called toxic guilt, okay? And I want to call it shame. Again, be here next week or I'm going to make you feel guilty for it because we're going to talk about guilt. And I think there is a healthy place for guilt. And obviously, if you commit adultery and then kill the lady's husband like King David did, there's probably some stuff you ought to figure out in your life. And we're going to do that next week. But here's what you need to know. The difference between shame and guilt, I think Brene Brown did a great job with it. She said, based on my research and the research of other shame researchers, there's literally a category of this, I believe that there is a profound difference between shame and guilt. I believe that guilt is adaptive and helpful in holding something or someone we've done, something that we've done or failed to do up against our values and feeling psychological discomfort. Right. I define shame, however, as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, done, or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. I don't believe shame is helpful, helpful or productive. In fact, I think shame is much more likely to be the source of destructive, hurtful behavior than the solution or the cure. I think the fear of disconnection can make us dangerous. And she sums the whole thing up like this. Shame is a focus on self. 
Guilt is a focus on behavior. Shame is I am bad. Guilt is I did something bad. How many of you, if you did something that was hurtful to me, would be willing to say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake? How many of you would be willing to say that, she asked. Guilt says, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Shame says, I'm sorry, I am a mistake. Get it? And some people are just more bent towards guilt and shame than others, okay? It's not a default for me. I don't know why, but for some people it is. And for some people, I would say they have an overactive conscience, okay? When the computer screen says you have performed an illegal function, they're ready to turn themselves into the police. You know what I'm talking about? Some people are just more bent that way than other people are. My youngest daughter is the one of my kids that is the most like me in personality. She's a very high, high leader. She's high D on the disc profile. If that means anything to you, she's an eight on the Enneagram. If that means anything to you, it means she's passionate about solving the problems of injustice in the world, and she's a little bossy. Okay? You get it? But the difference is that she is a complete rule follower, so much so that I literally worried about her overactive conscience when she was young. So I felt that it was my job to break her of that as a dad you know, especially a pastor dad. I remember one time she was like seven. She was still young enough to go to the hardware store, like where she wanted to go to the hardware store with me. And we were, we were on, we were using a wood cart because that was back when I could afford two by fours. And, and, and we were on the wood cart and there's a sign on there that says children are not allowed to ride on the, you know, on the cart. And I'm like, Becca, get in. I'll push you around. She's like, no dad, no. And I kept bugging her. The Bible calls it exasperating. Actually, that's what it is. I kept bugging her and bugging her until she finally gave in. And then she turned to me and she said, all right, but if I get in trouble, it's your fault. And then every time an employee would come by, she ducked down underneath the two by fours so that nobody could see her. Now, thankfully I have fixed that problem in her, but some of you have an overactive conscience that's just who you are. Well, that's okay. But some of you have a different problem. It's a long memory conscience. It, 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 you made a mistake a long time ago and you begged God to forgive you but you just don't feel forgiven. If you have that punitive view of God, you you never really can feel okay about it. And, And anytime anything bad comes up, here's how you know that this is your problem. Anytime anything bad comes up, is it, oh, God's punishing me for that thing I did. That that's a long memory conscience and that's shame. That's not good. Some of you have bad family conscience, okay? You just grew up in a family <laughs> where they made you feel guilty all the time. You know, there's a t-shirt that says, my mother is a travel agent for guilt trips. Anybody know what, what I'm saying? Okay. I mean, it's, that, that's not good conscience either. That's not good shame. That, that's shame, not good guilt. And, and the other one is even the most tragic, probably a misguided, I would call it a misguided conscience. It's shame for things that didn't have anything to do with you. And sadly, this is where a lot of abuse victims end up. They're, they're examples of a toxic guilt or shame that has gone on in their life. People who are abused as children often feel that somehow it was their fault, like they should have stopped it, which is ridiculous. And again, there's good guilt 
And we're going to talk about that next week. But this kind of shame is always destructive. It produces depression and feelings of worthlessness and inferiority and loneliness and compulsive behavior and various psychological problems. I agree with Albert Ellis on that. The solution, however, is not to get rid of the idea that there are things that are wrong. The idea is how we deal with them. The idea is taking our shame and our guilt to Jesus. Let me read it again. When a woman who had lived a sinful life, you with me, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and she stood behind him at his feet weeping and she began to wet his feet with her tears. We don't know much about this woman, but most Bible students conclude she was probably a prostitute. Okay, kind of the same language was used both ways. And everybody in town knew her. She had a bad reputation. You know, that's who she was. And, and, and just listen to my heart for a second, and please don't think that I'm not who I'm supposed to be on this. But um, if you've been around me long enough, you, you know that one, one day I finally realized um, there's a lot of people who do a lot of bad things and didn't feel like they had any choice in it. I've been around the world. I've been, I've been in Africa. I've been, I've been in, in South America. I've been in a lot of places. And those, those people who end up in prostitution, a lot of times, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is I've, I've never known a prostitute who woke up one day and said, hmm, let me make a decision here. Work at Amazon or sell my body, Okay. Usually, you know, let me get my yellow legal pad out and do the pros and cons of each one. Usually there is some level of desperation that is reached. Maybe it's a desperation that they brought upon themselves with drugs or whatever. But, but I'm just saying, before you go judging this woman like self-righteous Simon is going to do in just a second, just realize, just say to yourself, I've never had to choose between prostitution or watching my children starve. And you probably haven't either. Again, hear my heart on that. I'm not, I'm not saying it's okay. I'm saying it's desperation. And, and hey, I don't know. Maybe she wasn't a prostitute. Maybe she was just a little too voulez-vous coucher avec moi, if you know what I mean. Thank you. Thank you. I've been working on that all week. I, 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 I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. But when she learned that Jesus was eating at the home of Simon, she went to the place where he was. This sinful woman wanted to change. That's what I know. She wanted to change. She knew that Jesus would challenge her behavior and, and challenge her to a higher, better way of life. But she also knew of his compassion. She, she heard him then teach in Simon's house, and she was moved to a place of, of weeping tears and repentance, and her tears dripped on Jesus' feet. Okay, maybe you've read this story before, but I would have felt a little uncomfortable in this situation, wouldn't you? Simon the Pharisee, you're going to see here, was very uncomfortable. She's embarrassing him. I mean, she's a, a sinful woman. Everybody knows it. She takes her hair down to dry Jesus' feet. That was a big no-no. They, they weren't supposed to have their hair down. Simon was worried about his reputation now. And, and remember that a Pharisee took a vow to obey every letter of the law. So they were, they were often really good outwardly. Inwardly, it didn't really matter. But outwardly, they tended to be, you know, like really, really good. 
which made them really arrogant and really judgmental. And Jesus called them hypocrites. That was the nicest word he used for them because they lacked love and they lacked grace. And I love the way Jesus responded. This is going to be one of your favorite Bible stories, I promise you. Because again, if I would have been Jesus... I would have been uncomfortable with this dramatic display of emotion, you know? Um, You might not want to kiss him. He's got a lip fungus they ain't identified yet. You know what I'm saying? I I don't think you need to be around my feet. That's all I'm telling you. Just imagine it happening here. I'm trying to get you into the context, okay? Imagine that it happens here. And and I I don't want to be Jesus. That would be too weird. So let's just say that Pastor Todd is preaching, if that's easier for you, okay? Everybody say Todd. Okay, good. So some woman comes up, Todd's preaching, and comes up and starts pouring out Chanel number five on Todd's feet and wiping her, his feet with her hair. I mean, how's that whole thing work, right? The security guys would be like, uh, Eagle is being perfumed, Eagle is being perfumed. I don't know. I mean, everything's going to go kind of crazy at that point, right? And I think that's why the Pharisees' reaction to what was going on was the one that it was. So listen to this. When the Pharisee who had invited... Jesus saw this, he said to himself, well, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Note to self, never talk to yourself around Jesus. He can hear you, okay? Jesus answered him, "Uh, Simon, self-righteous Simon, I have something to tell you. Well, tell me, teacher, he said. And Jesus knew his reputation was being trashed, but he didn't pull away from her. He didn't rebuke her. He accepted her. He defended her. And and by way of cultural context, I need you to understand, in Jesus' day, when someone invited someone else over to their house, especially if it was a rabbi or an important teacher person, right, they would do three different acts of kindness, okay? Today, we would do, you know, we would shake their hand or we would hug them, right? We would take their coat if they had one. We would offer them a drink, whatever. In that day, they would give them the kiss of peace, you know, both sides of the cheek, a respect to the person that was there. They would have a servant wash their feet. They'd give them a cool basin of water because the roads were made out of dirt and they wore sandals and it was nasty and they're going to recline at the table, right? So the, you know, feet are going to be a little bit more there. And if it was a person of honor, the, the host would anoint the guest with oil or some kind of a perfume. That was always a big deal to anoint someone with oil. That's what should have happened, okay? Now, let me get back to this, okay? Simon, I have something to tell you. Well, tell me. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other only 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? And Simon replied, well, PT says math's not important, but I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven probably makes the most sense, right? Good job at the math, Simon. Then Jesus turned towards the woman and said to Simon, love this, just picture this. He turns towards the woman He's still talking to Knucklehead. Do you see this woman? I I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. 
But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. That's pretty true, isn't it? Okay. So, so forget about the Pharisee for a while. Obviously, Jesus was not happy with him, and Jesus wanted to get rid of the shame. So the question for us is, how do we get rid of the shame? So the very first thing you do, if you have shame in your life, is you go to where Jesus is. Really, really simple. This woman probably felt really out of place at the home of self-righteous Simon, okay? And maybe for you, that is even here, whatever campus that you're at right now. Maybe, maybe you had a hard time walking in. Maybe you're watching online and you're close, you live close by, and you, you're thinking about coming, you're just not sure if you want to actually come in the building. We have a lot of people that check us out online before they come. Can I tell you something? It's the same thing. There's just more people here, and you might want to change out of your pajamas. Not everybody does, but you might want to, okay? Really, we want, we, want you to, we want you to feel close to Jesus wherever you can. And the first step in healing and forgiveness is to go where Jesus is. And this was a premeditated thing that she did. How do I know that? Because she doesn't carry her alabaster jar of perfume with her every day. I mean, that, that, that was the most expensive thing that she had. It's just ridiculous. It would have been like carrying all of your money with you in your purse or whatever. Maybe some of you ladies are doing that, but don't, don't do that. She didn't just show up. She didn't just say, oh, I heard Jesus was at Simon's house. I think I'll stump by and dump my perfume on him. This was premeditated movement towards Jesus. Are you with me? So where are you going to find Jesus? Where are you going to find him? I love the story that is kind of the oh brother where art thou thing, you know, where the preacher's in the river and he's baptizing people and this drunk guy comes wandering by and he's like, well, I think I need to get baptized. So he wanders into the water and the preacher says, do you, do you, turn, do you, do you want Jesus in your life? And, and the man said, yes, I do. And the preacher baptized him and he brought him back up again. He could tell he was drunk. He said, did you find Jesus? And the man said, no. So he dunked him down again. He pulled him up again. He said, did you find Jesus? The man said, no. He said, dunked him down again. He brought him up again. He said, did you find Jesus? And the man said, I don't think so. Are you sure this is where he fell in? <laughs> where are you going to find him? Are you going to find Jesus on Netflix? Well, there's that Messiah show. It was really trippy, wasn't it? Did you watch that one? Like, what if he was here today? And now you're probably not going to find him. Are you going to find Jesus in that new uh, O'Reilly book about the mob? Oh, I read it. It was so good. I found out one of my really good friends and member of this church is related to the guy who ran Chicago for the mob for a long time and was killed by Al Capone. It was really interesting. No Jesus. My, my question for you is, are you moving towards Jesus or away from him? 
And, and, and you might be like, well, where do I find him? Man, come on. You know, okay? And if you need help, just text Jesus to our number, 65649, and we will help you. Uh, just go to our website. You'll see the things that are being offered, the things that are going on. You know where to turn towards Jesus. And if you don't, let us help you. Listen, the prodigal son was so hurt and so desperate that he finally decided to turn around and go back home. And that's when it quit hurting. That's what Jesus is there for. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Sin's burden is heavy. Jesus' burden is light. So move towards Jesus. And then once you move to Jesus, I think you're going to see the same thing she did. You're going to see how much he loves you. You see, I see progression in this, right? I see progression. This this woman shows up premeditated, which is taking a chance, but then as, to, to me, the way I read this, as Jesus is loving her, And as she realizes that he's not rejecting her, that's when she really starts to understand the love of the Father. Let me read it again. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. The shame, it looks to me like just she shows up, and the shame just starts to pour out of her. I think Mel Gibson did a great job with this in the Passion movie. This is a scene where the woman was caught in the act of adultery. It's a different story, and they're going to stone her, but I think that Mel was combining it with the scene in Luke 7 as you watch this. gets me every time. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul said, I pray that you may be able to grasp how high, 
How wide, how long, and how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you will be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I think it'll be a progression. I think you'll turn towards Jesus and you'll realize how much he loves you and you'll experience his love and you'll be moved to tears. Then what? Dump your jar. What in the world is that all about? The perfume. Like I said, anointing, right? But normally that would be the host, not not some random lady marmalade coming in off the street. But think about it this way. If she was a prostitute, Perfume was one of the tools of her trade, and she poured it out at the feet of Jesus. It was as though she was saying, I'm I'm not going to need this anymore. Repentance involves three things. There's a conviction. I'm convicted that what I did was wrong, that I made wrong choices. I'm not going to blame anybody else. There's contrition. I'm sorry, not just because I got caught, but I'm sorry because I've wounded the heart of God and other people by my actions. And there's change. I'm going to turn away from the rebellious ways and begin to walk towards Jesus even more. No, no matter how far I've gone down the wrong road, I'm going to come back. I'm going to pour out my jar. So what's in your jar? That's a question for you to ponder. End of the story. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever's been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Boys and girls, listen to me. As she left, we don't see the story. We don't know what happened. But as she left, she had two choices. There were two ways that she could believe about herself and her shame. She could believe the people, the people are right, I can't be forgiven, I'm too bad of a person, or she could believe in Jesus. Jesus is right, he says I'm forgiven, he told me to go in peace. I have a choice to make, you have a choice to make every day, you have a choice to make when you walk away from this place, when you walk away from your screen. You can decide to listen to the people on Facebook or on social media or whoever it is around you your family or at work or whatever that say that you're not good enough, that say that you should have shame in your life. You can listen to them if you want to, but that would be crazy because you have the choice to listen to Jesus and he has the power to forgive you. You've got to make a decision. And I think she made the right one. Number four, we trust in his amazing grace. Somewhere right about here, she's got to be going, wait a minute, don't I have to do something? Jesus said, no, your faith has saved you. You are forgiven. He didn't say, you got to do 500 hours of community service. You need to do 30 Hail Marys. He didn't say anything. He said, "Your, your faith has saved you. Her forgiveness was granted to her 
instantly by the grace of Jesus because she put her faith in him. God promises you that if you put your trust and your faith in him, he will save you and forgive your sins. And you don't have to worry about your sins anymore. And you don't have to live with that overactive conscience or that bad family conscience or or, or that long memory conscience or that misguided conscience anymore. You can simply live in the grace of Jesus. And there's one more thing then you got to go live like you're forgiven. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. There it is. There it is. Live in peace. Can you do it? I'll just admit, I was listening to Blake Shelton yesterday, okay? Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. And the last song on his newest album just absolutely broke my heart. It's called Bible Verses. He says, I ain't ever worn a halo. Don't suppose I ever will. As far as saving me goes, it's a battle all uphill. But I keep climbing, trying, fighting. Got a King James in the dresser and I take it out sometimes. But Lord knows I ain't measured up to what's inside. And they say that that's okay. But I keep praying for the day that I can open up the good book And heaven don't look like it's out of reach. When it feels like those apostles are giving me the gospel and not the third degree. I just want to read like Bible verses. I just wanted to read like Bible verses and not the Bible verses me. I woke up in last night's clothes and it's whiskey on my lips. If God's looking down, I know he's really looking down on this. This is tragic. But I have faith that I can change. I keep praying for the day that I can open up the good book and heaven don't look like it's out of reach when it feels like those apostles are giving me the gospel and not the third degree. I just want to read like Bible verses, not the Bible verses me. And I'm trying to give myself a little grace till those words in me get on the same page and I can open up that good book and heaven don't look like it's out of reach like when those apostles are giving me the gospel, not the third degree. I want it to read like Bible verses and not the Bible verses me. It broke my heart so much. I literally texted people that know people in the country music world and said, somebody get me connected with this guy. Jesus said to this woman, go in peace. When you take off the mask, if there's shame, he wants you to have forgiveness. He wants you to have assurance of that forgiveness. He wants you to go in peace. Where did her shame go? Jesus annihilated it. Bible says we die to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Don't you know that those of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. You can leave here every weekend and be at peace because you know your sins are forgiven and you are living victoriously through Jesus Christ because his grace is amazing. It's greater than all of our sins. 
I want to help teach you to live with confidence, knowing that our salvation isn't dependent on how we interpret the Bible verses or whether we drank whiskey the night before or what it is that we've got going on in our life. It's about the grace of Jesus. Our salvation is dependent upon the grace of God. And this story beautifully helps us to understand that. So I want to pray and um, and then I'm going to dismiss this. And I want to invite you to pray with me if you need Jesus. And then because we're kind of back in a place where we can be in contact with each other. After I do the benediction, we're going to have some people up here just to, to pray with you. If you've got a prayer need, if you want to find out more about Jesus, if you, if you want to turn to him, if you want to get rid of the shame today, there's going to be people up here to pray with you. And, and listen, if there's a bunch of people come, I don't know how many people I got. So if you feel like praying with some people, come on up and do it too. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to be about. Let's pray. Father God, I love this story. I know I'm putting things in places that maybe I don't understand. But as I understand the first century culture, I just feel like if a woman was a prostitute or even as a sinful woman with this definition, she, didn't, she couldn't go get a job doing anything else. She couldn't work at Amazon. I just can't help but feel for her. Whether I'm supposed to or not, I feel like that's where I'm at. I feel for her. And I can't stand that self-righteous Pharisee. The only problem is sometimes I'm on one side and sometimes I'm on the other. Be with us as a church and be with all of us that we can see the Pharisee in us as we start to look down on other people. And if there are people here who need to understand, they need to dump their jar on you right now and understand that they can go in peace. Will you help them to open up their hearts right now and say, Jesus, in my heart, I'm literally weeping tears at your feet. I need a change. I need to get rid of the shame in my life. I need you to love me and forgive me. And I know that when that happens, Lord, they're going to feel it. They're going to they're know even more about you. And it's going to be the beginning of a journey. And be with us as a church as we help them on that journey. And be with every one of us as we leave this place that we will understand <laughs> what it means. Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me at all of our campuses? We'll have people ready to pray for you after this is over. Uh, We would love for you to be able to just to have somebody around you. And again, um, if you want to help with that, just go to the front at your campus and let us do this. May the Lord bless us and keep us. May he make his face shine upon us and be gracious to us. May the Lord lift his countenance upon us and give us peace. Peace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with us now and forever. Amen. Listen to me. You have two choices. 
go out there and listen to those other voices tell you you're not good enough or listen to Jesus. If you want prayer, come on up.